Hey friends, welcome to Chasing Squirrels. Uh, I was on a friend's pod, friend's podcast. It's uh, it's called the Planning Period Podcast. It's with Brad Schreffler, and and on it, I I kind of I came to a kind of I guess a big thought, a big thought that I hadn't. It surprised me a little bit, and a big thought that I really hadn't framed out too much. But um, I guess uh, Brad kind of threw down, took it seriously, and 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 I mentioned that I just realized that part of part of doing this whole active reflective process, which is the I guess the Chasing Squirrels podcast, is that I, I started to realize I'm 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 kind of looking not only looking for the great ideas and the cool people that are that are breaking new ground in education, but somewhere in there, somewhere in there, and this is Brad's fault. I came to the realization that I'm also looking for other people like me. So not just not just searching for the differences out there that help me understand my own context, but at least one of those messages in a bottle. I think I was I was looking for looking for my family out there. So other individuals that are doing work like me. Now my context is a little bit niche. So I work with students that have been expelled or suspended from from their home schools. And for a while now, I've been doing some of these smaller space uh, classrooms. Prior to that, I was in personalized alternative education in, in both cases in the high school panel. So in reaching out to the Twitter sphere and other friends that, that are connected, I came across Leanne Hansen. And, and Leanne Hansen has a quite an incredible story all unto herself. But I think this might be the first time on Chasing Squirrels that uh, I found a member of my long-lost family. And there's a, the conversation was a lot of fun, we, you know, a few jokes in there and, and, and some really great stories about our context and sh- sort of swapping experiences and strategies. So this has turned a bit of a corner. Don't know if I'm going to be able to step back from this experience because I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, now I'm even more super eager to meet other people. And uh, like Brad put it, I think he retweeted, you know, finding the other cluff. Where are the other cluffs out there? Now, I'm not talking my family. I'd be happy to meet them too. But uh, moving on from this, if you're listening to this podcast and you know someone that works with students that, uh, you know, is in small spaces, so could be in special education, could be in alternative education, could be in programs like myself, working with students that have been expelled or suspended from the regular programming, you know, Get them to connect with me. At the end of the show, I'll have my contact details. Until then, I know you're really going to dig this conversation. And thanks for listening to the podcast. All right. Good evening and welcome to Chasing Squirrels. I Before I even go any further, Leanne, can I do that one more time? Can I do the tinkles? Oh, please do. Okay, here we go. We'll do the tinkles one more time. We'll just let that play in. Um, inside joke... Not going to explain it. Just going to say having a little bit of fun on the on the front end. I love the fact I don't have to do anything. That just faded out on its own. So, um, chasing squirrels podcast. The the sweet irony of trying to schedule interesting conversations with cool people and and fascinating personas is that um, they don't they don't come easy. They they really don't. Scheduling with uh, teachers that are kind of on the same continent as you can always be a challenge everyone's busy you know some people have families and they have other side hustles that keep them from chatting but i will say this conversation has been on my shortlist for some time i'm very happy to be talking with leanne hansen this evening leanne welcome to the podcast thank you very much it's really good to be here chris thank you the um just before we hit the record we were talking a little bit about the um the power of forgetting and there was just a quick Quick, so both of us can. Is it safe to say are are um, diverse in thought, mildly forgetful? Uh, that's a really lovely and diplomatic way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, there was the story uh, just you sharing about uh, leaving your glasses in a refrigerator. Refrigerator, and it led me to. I listened to this really interesting. I listened to a lot of podcasts. <laughs> None. I said this to somebody else. I don't listen to too many on education. 
um, there's a couple that I listen to, but I kind of go wide and listen to a bunch of others. And I was listening to this one um, that actually was it was a topic that was covered in a couple different podcasts, but it was about the idea that certain disabilities, in particular the one that they were focusing on, which was um, uh, blindness, is a socially constructed disability. And there was a very interesting perspective on this individual from this individual that used clicks in order to echolocate in their environment. And this dude climbs trees, rides bikes, walks by himself out in traffic, you know, just does not accept the fact, does not even acknowledge the fact that that language of being blind or limited by blindness exists. And it, I've listened to it a few times and it, and it brings me, it always brings to mind sometimes um, some of the assumptions that uh, are thrown my way in the work that I do. And I, I'm wondering about the work that you do. So if you could throw down just a little bit of an intro for yourself. Right. And then I want to talk just about the assumptions, the assumptions that come our way about the work that, uh, that we do and the students that we work with. Okay, absolutely. Well, I um, I teach in Queensland, Australia, and I teach in an alternative education program for students who range from uh, 15 up to 65. So quite a diverse group. Um, my specialty is the youth, particularly disengaged youth. So I have a lot of students who have um, lots of, of neurodiverse issues, um, anxiety problems, ADHD, um, autism spectrum disorders and so forth. So, and I also teach um, adults who have literacy issues. So uh, we have a literacy and numeracy focus. So it's, um, yeah, a really interesting kind of program and not one that has a very set prescribed set of lessons and, and set, we have a curriculum obviously, but yeah, changes from day to day. So, which is really good for me and, and probably, you know, the sort of thing that you'd enjoy as well, considering that we both have these attention issues and don't necessarily like to follow things in straight lines. Yeah, it's a, um, I, I like to ask myself, is this sequential or yeah. consequential? And sometimes that gets <laughs> me in the right mindset as to what I really need to be paying attention to. Let me, let me swing you towards that, that theme of kind of socially constructed, um, socially constructed disabilities, or let's say just the stereotype. I will, I will say that in, in my neighborhood, it's, it's not all teachers that, that live in my neighborhood. And I've been at several summer barbecues where, you know, the questions around, Hey, what do you do? And then the, you know, you know, all the different varied stories of every different worker in the neighborhood comes out and then, oh, you teach. And then, oh, what do you yeah. teach? The end of the question, there's a, there's a very lockstep kind of response. And I would say more times than not, because I share, I'll say what I teach. I'm happy. I'm happy to speak of, of the work that I do. There's, there's the, here's the response. And this is where I come up with that sort of socially constructed stereotype. The idea that, um, well, they're very lucky. They are very lucky to have you as a teacher. Now, not all my neighbors know me all that well to know anything about the baseness of my character <laughs> and, <laughs> and to be able to say and to be able to say that I should or should not be teaching. So I, 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 I take it on the surface. I take it as a compliment that someone is doing work that, that they perceive as valuable. But I always, I just, I, it's, I get a little itchy sweatered. I got to tell you when they they sort of they're like they're they're lucky or they're fortunate because it sort of holds what I kind of think like the kids at arm's length like yeah those kids I think there's a there's an element of um they're lucky to have anybody you know that they, they don't actually like you said they don't know you they don't know anything about what you do they just assume that um you know that you're dealing with rejects or you know dealing with people who are lucky to be picked up and that's it's and I always get the the other response that I always get is oh that must be so difficult I'm like well yeah but really you know if it wasn't difficult why would you even bother doing it like why why would you do a job that you love that demands so much of you if it was a really easy job that had no challenges at all it's it's difficult to throw that one on the table though right because sometimes 
it just gets stared at. It's it's almost like well you you said it right there because it's difficult work you know so it's it, I like that I like that conversation a lot that that one comes to me more in this form um, and sometimes it comes from other educators like how does that work how, how do you how do you do that how do you and you sort of explain the context and often for for me it comes out of trying to understand for me. Um, I've, I've for a while now been teaching multiple courses at the same time. So in what that would look like is, you know, 16 could look like 16 kids in a classroom, each one doing a different course. Yeah. And, 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 you know, that's the alternative and personalized model. I don't, I think it's, it's, there's different iterations of it in many school systems. Um, when the, when the, the kid arrives in class, they bring a course or a collection of courses with them. And then you sort of work out whether or not you can support all of them, some of them. Maybe you're putting a different one in, um, maybe waiting on one, all that kind of stuff that is kind of like the personalized version of, of my context. But that, that, that whole like, how do you do it? I want to I put that to you because you are completely ninja up on this. <laughs> I'm trying to imagine a classroom. No, seriously, I'm trying to – I actually mentioned I had a really – so in you know once once we had sort of you know the papers were signed and your people talked to my people and the riders were signed off on we each got exactly what we needed from this contract conversation um, the money's good right you're fine you're good oh it's check excellent the check, yeah clear it good yeah. I I put it to I put it to <laughs> maybe it hasn't um, I put it to one of my students I was actually it was soon after I had listened to that conversation between you and Hurley and you had mentioned that fifteen to sixty range. And we had a really kind of really energized conversation about what um, multi-generational classrooms would look like. And I kept on falling on the, there's, there's benefits to this. There's benefits to this. And it was a real hard sell. Like here, the concept of having someone, like I kind of came back at it. Well, what if you were, what if you were 65 or you're 60 years old and you wanted you wanted to learn, you know, refine your English. So you wanted to take a grade nine English course. Well, you wouldn't say necessarily know it's a grade nine, but you kind of find out that you find out that there's space in the grade nine class in the high school that's right around the corner from your house. You don't have to travel far. It's the bus will drop you off there, you know, or maybe, you know, wherever you're living, there's a that bus that would take you right there. And I thought, how wonderful would it be to start building community hubs that way? Thinking oh, that absolutely. if there was space, fill the class. Yeah. That's, do you know what? That's actually my ideal model of any kind of learning would be, you know, whoever needs the courses can do the courses at whatever time at their own pace. And if you have, I mean, I have like 15, 16 year olds that are super intelligent in one particular area. What's to stop them from taking a class and tutoring and, you know, or taking a, a tutor group and mentoring and, you know, just using people's strengths and, and I want to teach science today or I want to, you know, I want to take a course in typing or whatever, you know, that that whole um, idea of having the learning as an opportunity that anybody can take up, that's that's like heaven to me as far as I can, you know, that, that would be perfect. But um, unfortunately, there are all these barriers in place and putting aside policy and putting aside, you know, management and all of that, the big barrier is people's perceptions of what what students should be learning and what you should be teaching to them. There's this idea that, you know, a 65-year-old can't possibly be interested in the same things as a 16-year-old and that's that's absolute garbage. All you need to do is find that middle ground and you'll find that, you know, they have commonalities and if they don't, they can teach each other. You know, that we shouldn't be putting limitations on them. It's funny going. I'm I'm thinking back on. I'm I'm a big. Uh, sorry, wrong way to go at this. When when I'm I find when I'm I'm introducing some of the random that you know when you use students as post-it notes, as in here, student. I'm going to say this thing to you because if I don't get this conversation yeah. out, I'm going to forget. So you kind of you know, <laughs> you sort of like you, just so the kid will come back to and say, "Cluff, like." What it, what was that thing that you told I'm like, uh, what was it I told you again? And they run through it. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's what my thoughts were on that. And you can, you know, like human post-it notes. 
no, it totally works. Try it out. If you haven't, it totally works. I, I may have done that from time to time. Yeah, because yeah, you, <laughs> you can hook the kid with a little bit of random and then you walk away. And for me, you know, a big a big part of my day is like hummingbird teaching. So I come and I kind of get beside the student, you know, you're trying to get the 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 hamster wheel rolling a little bit, a little bit of traction on that, whatever that lesson, that thing. And then I might be jumping over to another table or going to the next room over. And then, you know, it's just a lot of, you know, good running shoes carry me well. Yeah. And, and it's necessary for me to kind of get these little provocations into the kids just so that when I do come past them again, they're more likely to ask me a question than, you know, pull their phone out or something like that. It's like, what were you even talking about Clough? But it's, it's when I, when I, when I think about the, you know, having that, the, the age range that, um, when I think about the age range that you have, that you work with, it does, it makes entire sense. But where I want to back it up to is how did that become a model? Because yours and my context, though, we have some, we, we, we have connection, I think. I think there's something, there's something in our context that speak to each other, though, you know, we've just made contact now. But how did that model come to be? Because I, I know that, here we have all the possible pieces, but there's a very clear separation between having adults in a classroom and kids in a classroom. To be honest, it was um, partly just out of necessity. We, um, with government contracts, as you know, I'm sure, um, they change their their priorities from time to time, and they change their funding models, and it becomes difficult to have, um, you know, all the classes segregated and, and everybody sort of streamed out. So in a lot of cases, they do just get thrown in together, which um, may work really badly and has actually worked really badly in the past. And we've had, you know, problems where um, some of the older men with younger girls, it hasn't turned out well, and we've had, you know, issues. But if you're aware of those sorts of things, and you can sort of be, you know, monitoring behavior and interactions between people then you know it's one of those things that you learn from experience so what we've what we've done purely because you know that's that's what we've been forced to do is um it's more or less just making the best of it and as it turns out um it has actually been the best thing to do in a lot of ways because we do have you know we've got older students who are really happy to take some of the younger kids under their wing and and say you know I wish I had had your opportunities when I was younger or you know don't don't do that kids we I did that look at you know look at what happened to me and and giving them life lessons and some of the younger people taking on you know showing the the older people how to use their iPhones and um, you know teaching them about various technologies and teaching them some really rude words and you know it's it's all really good we do you know you have a lot of that sharing and I try to make sure that every day like you I have um I have different things on the go all the time like students so we have rolling enrollments so people are coming in at all different times of the year they're all at different levels they all have different levels of numeracy and literacy needs so I try to tailor everything to the individual student, but I'd make sure that every lesson, like every day, at least one lesson is focused on you building those employability skills that we call them. You might, um, people call them soft skills, those sort of things that you really do need to, to get on with, you know, your communication skills and entrepreneurial skills and creativity and, you know, building technology and, and, innovation and all that kind of thing so and those are the those are the grounds where you know people people can intersect and people can share their own knowledges so I mean I think part of being a teacher and probably the biggest part is just remembering that you're not actually the guru you're not really the sage you're there to make sure that people are actually getting the most out of whatever lesson it is that they're doing and you know taking it in directions that they want to do which is good. I mean, I'm, we're kind of kings of tangents in our classroom and, um, you know, my students will take me off on a tangent and I'm usually happy to follow them because it's really good fun. And uh, then the challenge is to go, okay, now let's bring it back to what we were actually talking about. And usually you can find that there's some sort of um, commonality in what you're talking about and what you started talking about. So, you know, that's that's where it always ends up as something that we never thought was going to happen. But you know, they're the ones that are leading the learning, which is how I quite like it. Is the, um, is, so a couple different 
a few questions that are rattling off. Um, so this is these are high school level courses that are being taught. Yeah, so year ten level usually, which is some um, sort of our junior junior school, sort of junior high school. So um, we have, you know, that's that's basically where um, you know they're just writing writing essays, writing you know um, documents to get on with the workplace. So we we do try to keep it as a vocational focus. So trying to keep, um, you know, all of our writing exercises as something that can be used later on in the workplace, you know, like writing policies and things like that. But of course, we do need to bring in the creativity because that does need to be nurtured. And obviously, um, you know, writing policies is not a particularly creative thing to do. So we might bring in things like I have... Um, the, the most fun I've ever had with any writing exercise and, and to the point where I've done it year after year is um, writing a zombie apocalypse story, which works really, really well with all age groups. And it's really good fun. You know, using, remember um, a couple of years ago, probably on Facebook, there was that thing of, um, you know, the the person, the main character in the last video game that you played and the person, the main star in the last movie that you watched and the singer of the last song that you listened to, that's your zombie apocalypse team. I yeah. think so, yeah. So we do that. And and it's really interesting to see what comes out of it because, you know, we've had um, from things like, you know, somebody had Ozzy Osbourne in their team and decided to sort of leave him as a decoy for the zombies so that, you know, the zombies would think that he was one of them and they'd leave everybody else alone and... You know, they've had um, somebody had uh, I can't remember some pop singer who they tripped and left as a sacrifice, and you know it gets really interesting. We've had, you know, Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters flying a plane to get everybody out and evacuate the place, and yeah, it's it's been really fun. That's a good choice. That is a good choice. I would see a movie with Dave Grohl as one of the oh for sure protagonists no, he in would that be role. Awesome. Um, I think his partner. <laughs> I think his partner in crime in that particular one was Mario, so it was the latest video game. So that was quite interesting. <laughs> and you know what? I could totally see them doing some twinsy like that would work. I and and you know, Dave, if you're listening, I know you do. You check this podcast on the daily. You know, do a do something. Do like a green screen <laughs> test with Mario as the co-pilot. Look. I think it could make his career. I mean, yeah, look, he's he's not really big right at the moment, but I think this could really get him off the ground. He might need Mario to lift him a bit. Mario's making a comeback. Oh, for an, sure. <laughs> Mario new... just, you know, <laughs> grab a few uh, mushrooms and things and we'll be fine. Oh, so, I wish I yeah. had. Now you're making me think I'd grab that wave sound for the bumpers at the top, the whole do-do-do-do-do-do. Oh, the, do, oh, do, the, do, oh do, God. <laughs> now I plug that no, in your head. That and, Monty, be... that and Monty Python. Yeah, oh, no. This is like earworm central. <laughs> I'm, I, I do, I'm only good. I'm only good for one or two of those. I swear I won't do another one. Is this publicly <laughs> funded? The, um, the, the, so students coming to you or do they, you know, if you're 60 years old and you decide to start building your literacy skills or taking some career, some career diversity skills with uh, di- uh, courses with you, do they have to pay or is this? Uh, it's, it's a bit of Is both. this covered by... Um, Okay. It's so some people are referred on by um, employment providers, and some people are just you know they can come and pay. Pay. It's not very expensive, so um, we're lucky enough to get some good subsidies and things. So yeah, it's really good fun. It's um it's very valuable. And so is this is this a a part of the like a public school board, or is this considered an independent school? What's the sort no, of status of? Um, at the moment, I work in a vocational setting, so it's for school leavers. So um, you can't actually be part of the program if you're still enrolled in a, a regular school. Ah, uh, okay. So you have to be like a registered job seeker. Got you. It, okay. So, and that would be done through like a, some sort of a, government ministry of labor ministry of training sort of yeah, thing yeah something like that okay so, yeah. we have something when i went through teachers college um so here and just our, our format is you do sort of well you can do it a couple different ways for me my i went to university took drama 
I took some social sciences, art, French, a whole, it was a big salad. I walked away with a very sort of a very good uh, liberal arts degree. And then the whole time while I was going to school, I was also working in hospitality. So I was um, bartending, host everything, do chef, manager. I kind of did landed everywhere using that to subsidize university. When I left university, I decided that I wanted to become a chef. So I angled at that and did a lot of years. I ended up staying in hospitality for a, a long time. And um, in the process of getting um, out of hospitality and into teaching, the faculty of education that I got associated with, I was in with other tech teachers. And some of those tech teachers were connected with at least philosophically, a program that sounds a little bit like, a little bit like yours. Um, some of these individuals, they, yeah, they they kind of some of them injured out, so they couldn't do their trade anymore. So they wanted to go back to school. Um, some of them were just looking to get out of their trade, and there were subsidies that came from the our Ontario government that would help these individuals where um, parts of their instead of going on unemployment the money would be put towards paying for them to become a teacher. So it's kind of, I like that. I think that was really cool. I mean, it was a, it, it was good and bad, but I, I opened my eyes up to how um, I hadn't considered that kind of a career flip. I would have never qualified yeah. for that per se. My context was very different, but I was appreciative of the fact that individuals that wanted a sh job shift, that there was a way to kind of maintain. Yeah kind of maintain your life in that space. Like you don't, you're not going back to school to kind of drop entirely away from whatever comfort that you had established with your current career. I, I think it's an excellent thing. And that's, a, a, we do work on at sort of a technical college. I, I think you have, is it technical colleges that you have in Canada or something like that? Yeah. Yes, there are some. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. So it's the same sort of an institution. And um, yeah, I think that it's really important that if you have that that sort of knowledge and skill, and if you can no longer use it practically, then then passing it on is something that's really important. And I think it's really good that people get recognised as being able to teach those skills because you know they have that practical experience. And then teaching them how to teach is the the really important thing, rather than you know they they know all of the material, they're fine. They just need to you know have a little bit extra to show them how to pass that on to people who don't have those skills so I um I did an arts degree as well which I actually recommend for everybody because I know that arts degrees get sneered at all over the world and I I did a creative writing degree and I don't actually use it much I, I didn't really learn much about writing in that degree Everything that I've learned about writing more or less has been since. But what I did learn was how to think and how to seek out information and how to, you know, how to make connections between knowledges and things like, you know, critical thinking skills and, and that, which I found really, really important. But then I did, um, later on, I did like a graduate diploma in education. So I'm actually high school trained and I just can't be bothered teaching in a high school because I think that, um, my particular skill set is probably better used where I am. I think that, you know, kids in high schools probably have enough support, maybe. I might be putting it out there a little bit too much, but yeah. No, I, I think I think you're on point. I I wrestle with that. I wrestle with that all the time. As in is am, am I in the right place? Am I in the right place for my interests in where my I guess my teaching passions, but where you're, you know, where you're really, your gritty kind of skill set lies. I know when I think of the things that have rattled me most in my teaching career, the one that comes back again and again and again was actually in my first year teaching, which there's a whole lot that can rattle you in your first year <laughs> teaching. Yeah. It was right, like really, right? I could almost pick anything, but it's it wasn't. <laughs> It was it was it was getting up in in front of this this class teaching. It was an introductory, a grade eleven course in um, introduction to social sciences, so anthropology, sociology, and psychology. And it was one of the first courses I had designed. Well, of course, first year teaching, yeah. but it was also the first time it was being run at the school. So it was myself and a colleague. We were both hired in at the same time. So we spent the summer, you know, mapping it out. We, you know, we we felt we did. A decent job considering we knew nothing and i can remember 
that it was like the second class putting up an overhead and the entire class just almost in children of the corn synchronicity, grabbing their pen head down and starting to take notes. And I kind of stood there stunned for a second. And I was like, Oh, so this is teaching. And I had this real kind of out of body experience. Now the, the reason it sticks to me was the automaticity. The, the reason that sticks to me is because I think back that's, that is so far from my context mm-hmm. now. Like it, it is the, it is the antithesis of my context now. It, there's, there's absolutely nothing that resembles my current context for that moment. But it, it stuck with me because I actually thought to myself, I had the, the moment of, well, this may be easy. But then I also thought, why are they complying? Yeah. Like I had that exact duality of thought, like, wow, like they're really not thinking. They're not, there's something not right about the thinking yeah. where they would just drop down and write. And I, I, it makes me, I mean, a big parts of that, a part of that is also a bit of a, a litmus for my personality as a teacher, but it also puts me in that space of where I, I'm constantly questioning, am I in the right place? Am I doing the right thing? Am I still, am I still able to get up and contribute the best parts of whatever that base skill set is every single day? And I'm curious, I'll, I'll put it to you. If you were, did you interview for this current position that you're in? I, I kind of got it accidentally when the teacher, I was I was going in to fill in for another teacher in, in a slightly different program and the teacher who was teaching the youth at the time um, quit that day and walked out. <laughs> I love so, it. <laughs> yeah, so I was going in to do paperwork to fill in as a relief teacher and the manager's like, ah, you're qualified to do this. How about you take this class? I'm like, okay, fine. No problem, but yeah, I, no, I, I fortunately there's like rom there's rom coms there's rom coms with that exact like storyline, you know the the guest teacher showing up, you know the regular teacher is out in the parking lot passed out in their minivan or something <laughs> like well I'm just gonna go for it with tenacity and sort of creative thinking and the kids are gonna love me. Did it turn out well in the it, beginning? It, it it turned out challenging. Um, yeah, it it was. Uh, it was a group of kids who really did not want to be there. Um, and there, were, there were a couple that really did, and that was great. But yeah, it was, and I was fresh out of prac, so I had, you know, I'd done my my prac in um, university and done it in high schools with, you know, mentors sitting there and teaching you how to teach, and and that was great. But then I was sort of thrown right into the deep end with absolutely no rule book at all. <laughs> um, yeah, it. The, the first day, most of the students walked out, but um, and I took it really personally. But I later found out that that, that was kind of what they did. Um, they just turned up, got their names ticked off, and then just decided that they had better things to do. So, um, yeah, compliance wasn't a really big problem on my first day. That was not a worry. But um, yeah, so all, all of my carefully prepared materials and things went right out the window really quickly, and I just had to sit down and talk to all of the students and I haven't stopped talking to them since really you know you just you just um, spend a lot of time trying to find out what they want and why they're there and try to get them from my mum made me come to you know I want to be here because this is actually going to make a difference to my life so you know it's it's a challenge but I don't think that there's any way to prepare for it I, I think I actually think that that's probably part of the problem with a lot of new teachers coming out is that they don't have enough time being thrown into situations and, you know, seeing how they can deal with it. I'm kind of a believer in the sink or swim. So fortunately I can swim, but could have gone really badly. (laughs) I I can remember you, you, you bring to mind and make me think about like, I've, I haven't had a, um, I haven't had a teacher candidate work with me. I had just, it did my sort of small space uh, interest and kind of shifting. Like I'm, I'm in, I, I feel like I'm kind of in spaces for three to four years and then I kind of shift. So it's hard, it's hard to sort of establish a little bit of that, at least in the eyes of establishment, a little bit of that credibility, stability, despite the intensity with which I sort of work with students that have, I would, you know, by concentration, you know, if I have 10 students, they're entirely representative of, of every single permutation <laughs> of challenge that a school could have. Yeah, Right. Absolutely. You with me? Like that's, you know, it's, you, you can't, oh, 
your your numbers are low. Let's give you another student. Yeah. It's like, oh, this is exponential. You don't understand. It's alchemy. You don't. It's chemistry. Don't do that. But that <laughs> another story. But the I've never had the student teacher. But I remember, I remember um, when I was still in those. So I, I spent eight nine years in a in a regular let's say high school, a bigger site, and talking with individuals that took on teacher candidates. And I was always fascinated by the fact that I I never really. I, I like I kind of recommended on a couple occasions you need to sort of sit down with that individual and tell them that they're on the wrong track. Like they're not they're not they're not going in the right direction. And it's it's kind of like the counter side to the sink or swim. Yeah. There's a third side to that coin. The straight talk. Right? There's the straight talk in the sink or swim that no, you know, that that wasn't a good lesson. That 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 didn't go how you think it did. But, you know, I, I was going to let it write it out because it didn't potentially, no one was going to lose a job over it. It just wasn't, it just, yeah. it wasn't good and there's space to fix. So you offer whatever, maybe it's two coins now. I'm up to two coins or three coins. But I, I was fascinated by that. Have you ever had a, a teacher candidate? No, I haven't. We've, um, we've only ever really had, um, the, the only people that we really have in our classroom are um, social work students and students in that kind of area, which is a whole other bag because... Yeah, they're there for a slightly different purpose. But I've certainly had lessons that have gone really, really badly. And, you know, where you go in and you have this really great vision and, and it just all falls to pieces and you walk out and you go, oh, my God, that was horrible. I should give up forever and ever. Um, and then you have wine and it's all good the next day. <laughs> and it's, you know, and you go in. Okay, so do this. Tell me tell me the one that you still believe to this day should have worked. Oh. It might still be a. Do you have one that's a mystery? It it should have should have worked like that, but it didn't. So it kind of sits. It sits on the top of the pile, right? Not everything gets sort of into the shredder right away. Um, do you have I one have like a that? Really cool lesson planned out for um, writing resumes. Now I know that doesn't sound really exciting, but I'd seen. Um, uh, You've hooked me. I have never heard anyone say that they have a cool well lesson plan for resumes because it's, yeah, it's in boring. my mind. Yeah. It's really dull. So I, I hate teaching that. I mean, I think it's really important that everybody has a really good resume and, and that's great. Um, and it's a really important part of what we do. But I'd seen a couple of really cool video resumes, right? So I thought, well, we've got access to iPads. This is really cool. Um, let's do that. Let's make video resumes. And I thought, well, no, this is going to be great. These kids love to get their face on video. You know, they're all Facebooking all the time and they're all Snapchatting and they're all this and that. And, you know, of course they're going to want to record themselves and talk themselves up because, you know, a resume is all about talking about how amazing you are. And that's one thing teenagers do all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, on paper it looked fantastic and I thought, yeah, this would have been so cool if I had been able to do this when I was at school because we didn't have iPads and, you know, and they like film and they like acting. But, oh, no, when they're the central character, it all went, it, it went really, really badly. So I had a whole class full of people saying, can we just write this on paper instead? <laughs> and I'm just like... <laughs> Just whatever. Just <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna take my ball and go yeah. home. <laughs> and like I had all of these really cool props, and you know, I had they, I showed them these really cool um, examples, and I've actually been, <clears throat> excuse me, I've actually been banned from using the word "cool" in my classroom because my students, along with my own kids, know that I don't really use it in the same context that they use it. Um, so what I think is cool is not necessarily going to happen very, very well. So, yeah, that was that was one that I thought should have gone a whole lot better. And I thought, oh, here we are, we're hitting all these great skills. We're looking at our speaking and listening and, and learning practices and you've got to write out a script and you've got to, you know, use your editing techniques and all of this. And, yeah, no, it went really, really badly. Mine, all I'll say, if I, I'll share mine, I won't give the full context, but it involved turning my classroom into a cult. <laughs> okay, this is starting well. <laughs> and even as I say it, I'm thinking back, I'm like, it, it, it was, it was designed, it, it didn't, what made it not good was that it worked. And I had a hard time bringing 
bringing them back. Oh my God. I can't even believe I'm talking about this, but that's what it was. I was, I was talking about, you know, um, dynamic personalities and compliance and obedience and, you know, the Milgram experiment and talking about how willing we are to go along to get along. And it, it, and when I think back on it, it's definitely one of those, um, you know, a lesson that I think back on that, that worked. And I really, sh- I should have pulled back a little bit. I should have gone, okay, let's just discuss where we are right now. Um, <laughs> we, I just want to, let's get into some small group groupings. Okay. Yes. You in the corner, right. Just to break up the, the, the dynamic because they were, they were ready. They were ready to go out in the halls and just do my bidding. And, uh, they had, yeah, it, but, um, that's the power of psychology, isn't it? So, um, it's when I think back, it's, I can, I love, I, I like talking about it just sideways because it's, it's so ridiculous that I did that, but I did that in my first year of teaching yeah. too. And I actually did it to that exact, you know, it was the same class that put their heads down to look at the uh, overhead. I'm like, let's see how far <laughs> I can take this compliance thing. It's, it's, um, it's yeah, a good exercise so. actually. It's, it's interesting in um, getting their abilities to think critically going, but clearly they, they weren't necessarily uh, doing that. Um, yeah, the thing, the thing that it came down to was me having to show them, here was the thing, this is how I completely had to deprogram them afterwards was I, I had, um, I, I handed my lesson plan to them. That was the only way to break the, well, you know what? Cause I had to break this. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I would have a use for that because they were so so swept up in the um, idea and the compulsion to sort of act based on what we had discussed about. I gave them um, an emotional motivation. I gave them a challenge. I I put them in sort of like uh, a disadvantaged position and they wanted, they wanted to go take care of business. And it was only when I showed them the lesson plans and it didn't turn out well for me at that point because they moved from pitchforks and ready to sort of run with me to staring at me like, how could you have done that? I'm like, but I thought it was going to be a good lesson. <laughs> I um, I have done that, uh, like not not created a cult, and I haven't actually given anyone anything to drink or <laughs> any terrible missions to do. I have to, I have to say, they they were all okay. That was early in the semester. I had a lot of time to <laughs> mea, culp, mea culpa and ask for forgiveness. We were good at the end, but it was one of those lessons that a couple of kids back and say, "Clef, man, I still can't, I don't believe you did that thing." I'm like, "Okay, yeah, thank you." So sorry, just I I wanted to get that on air just in case all those students have graduated. They are fine now. Yeah, I think occasionally they um, just clock like a chicken. That's fine. But um, I do a, a similar similar kind of thing with um, marketing and talking about programming and you know telling them how they're being manipulated and um, so I kind of come at it from the other the other side where I I start with you know ways that they can be manipulated and try to get them to recognize that as a critical thinking skill. But I have done, can I tell you a really bad story? I promise it won't ruin your due rating I, or anything. Me, yeah. <laughs> me and and my one million yeah, listeners. So it was April Fool's Day, right, a couple of years ago. And I thought, oh, look, I'm going to have to do something. And I wrote a fake newspaper article and I, I, I sort of dumb, dummied it up as an assessment item like a reading assessment. So, you know, which usually looks like they've got an article or a piece of text that they have to read. And then it's followed by various questions that um, engage with the text. So I wrote a fake newspaper article on the local newspaper masthead, which I don't think I'm supposed to do. But anyway, I did. Um, And made up a fake reporter and got fake pictures. And, you know, as you do. The article was um, called Queensland First to See the Light. And it was all about how Queensland was going to be the first state to legalize marijuana. (laughs) And it was going to happen. But I had to be really careful in the article. I had to say it wasn't happening today because I knew that I'd have a whole stack of people getting themselves into trouble. Mm -hmm. So it was going to happen, you know, December the 1st or something like that. And so I dummied up the article and I had, you know, a whole stack of questions exactly the same way that I would as a normal assessment. And then we had a discussion afterwards and, you know, the pros and cons of legalization and all of this. And then at the end of it, one kid just looks at me and goes, looks at the date on the masthead and just goes, this isn't real, is it? And I'm like, no, 
sorry, it's April Fool's Day, and the whole class just turned on me. And it just, I, I've still, I, I, you know, two or three years down the track, I've still got students who I'll see and they'll mention it and they'll say, we have never forgiven you for that. That was just terrible. So, yeah. Um, it was interesting in that it came the day after I'd actually done a whole lesson on not believing a single source and how you should research things and how you should question. So, you know, it turned out as a good learning experience, but they did not forgive me for a long, long time. So, and they're like, how did you? I love it. Yeah, how did you know we'd fall for it? I'm like, seriously, guys, you know, I, I know my audience. So I love it. It's, it that's, a, that's, quite a, that's quite an elegant way to test prior knowledge. Were you paying attention yeah. in the last lesson? Let me ask you something, and, yeah. and this is this is the the rejuvenating because I, I I I like it. I like that story. That's a great story. What is it? What is it about you that you would say makes you that sort of drives you to be that kind of a creative teacher? Like to think that way. Um, what is it? What is it that you, that's sort of like fueling that type of an approach or that perspective to sort of go? And I I don't want to I don't want to say that sort of inside outside the box. I don't want to say, you know, that innovate in there. It's just that it's that willingness to kind of step sideways and take a chance on something. What fuels you just to say, I'm going to go for it. Oh, look, I, I hate to be, I mean, I, first of all, I don't really believe in in or outside the box because I really don't think there's a box there in the first place. I think we create that one for ourselves, but um I, I hate to be labelled. I hate to. I hate to stand still. I'm, you know, we talked about that ADHD thing a little while ago, and I think that part of that is because I'm really easily bored. And I think that if I'm going to be bored with something, then I know that my students are going to be as well. And I think um, in a lot of classrooms, you find that that what's being taught has been taught over and over and over again. And I know there's some really innovative teachers out there. There's a lot, but there's a lot that just aren't, that are just, um, you know, doing what they're told and, and towing the line. And that's the kind of teacher that I never wanted to be. That was the kind of teacher that I hated when I was at school. And I'm a really bad student. Like, I'm shocking. If we have, you know, professional development days, I'm, I'm like the one who's sitting up the back passing notes on what PD could possibly stand for. And, you know, sometimes it gets a bit rude. Because <laughs> it's just boring. And I hate being lectured at. And I hate, you know, I hate a lot of those traditional modes of, of learning. So I guess, you know, that's what puts me in exactly the right place. I, I resent, um, you know, being being labelled and, and being um, something. You, you talked about, you know, I have these eclectic tastes and things, and I do because I think um, there's a really great quote, and I can't remember it exactly because it's really long, by um, Boccaccio in the Decameron. No, not the Decameron, the um, genealogy of the elder gods. And he talks about, you know, if you have this knowledge, if you have this gift to write, because I'm a poet and that's, you know, a whole other weird story, but if you have this gift to write, then it's beholden on you to learn about as many possible things as you can so that what you write or what you teach and what, you know, what knowledge you're imparting isn't coming from one source. It's coming from as many different places as possible. And so, you know, I make sure that I'm keeping up with social media and I'm keeping up with the trends that my students might be also keeping up with because there's things that they're learning that are addressing those those basic skills that they need, but it's using that different and, and sort of contemporary context. So it makes it much more relevant for the students. And if it's relevant for the students, then it becomes something that sticks in their head and they, you know, they make connections easier and then they can go and they can show other people which I demand that they do, you know, it's, it's one of those things. If you've been given that gift of learning and that gift of knowledge, then, you know, you're, it's your responsibility to then just go and, you know, spread it as far as you possibly can and basically corrupt the whole world with knowledge and information. I did, and I mentioned before I hit the record, I said, that's part of what, that's part of what draws when, when I'm, when I, I, it's hard. It's, I don't want to say pursue, but when I'm looking to, when I'm looking for for 
things to follow, the, the things that catch my attention, the things that hold my attention, and the things that sort of demand that I contribute attention. It's like there's different layers to it. When I when I when I lurk through your Twitter posts, I, I mentioned that. Like it's <laughs> it's there's there's a there is a variety there that to me it's funny. Like one of the things I think that's Oh, I'll burn for this one, but I think it's the reason that I don't listen to a lot of educational podcasts. And I know I'm like set myself on fire with this one because in some ways, in many ways, this is an educational podcast and it's connected (laughs) with Voice Ed Canada. And I get all that, but my intent is kind of in like what you're doing. Like I'm, it's creeper vine. I'm just reaching out, trying to understand more about my own context and being open you know, you've mentioned in at least one of your posts on Twitter that that you're saying yes, like just opening yourself up to the possible. And your posts on Twitter to me represent a very whole person perspective. It's not just teacher stuff. And when I think about the PD sessions that I'm not writing the dirty words in PD, <laughs> but I'm the one that's fact checking and resourcing and engaging in like debate at my back table about the appropriateness of standardized testing in, you know, grade two and three. And I, you know, I just finite it just to this absolute point. And I'm just, and then it's like clef in the back. Hey, did you get what we're, I'm like, Oh, oh sorry, principal. <laughs> but um, I, I love the diversity of your posts. I, I think that often, I think often it's easier to become, protective of our ideas in the classroom it's it's easier to say or to be a math teacher than to be chris clough there and to sort of be in front of that place of vulnerability where you can sort of create community and family and everything else that comes with that sort of not not sort of making the relationship in class transactional but actually interaction and sort of connecting Um, I think that's what I like about your, your posts, because I think, I feel like it represents, I put out a survey earlier today, like, do you trust your digital self? (laughs) And you're either, either you're very, you're marketing yourself very well, or you actually do trust your digital self. Like if Twitter is one of those places that's a primary learning and connecting space for you, it's, I think it's a good representation. Like if there's people that I follow that if someone say like, what's the value in using Twitter and how do I use it? valuably i would i would say check out these people's posts check out leanne's sort of twitter feed like i think it represents well yeah i think that it's it's really important to be a whole human being like in everything that you do instead of do you trust your digital self oh yeah am i I completely i do am i lying to myself leanne no i have a really big digital footprint um you know i i've been using the internet for a long long time and I've probably said a few things that I'm not super happy about, but at the end of the day, I'm I'm really happy to to represent myself as a complete person because um, I I don't think that I'm not a teacher, I'm not a poet, I'm not, you know, I'm not a mother, I'm I'm a whole you know intersection of things that every single thing that I do and everything that catches my attention is is caught it for a reason and it's something that I feel reasonably passionate about even if it's just something that's fleeting and or some joke that somebody said and I follow like heaps of comedians and um you know try to try to keep it as reasonably light as possible but at the same time you know I think it's really important to to represent yourself as somebody with a social conscience but in an in an authentic way, and you'd know yourself in in the classroom if you're not authentic. Um, kids can sense it, you know. They they can smell blood, basically. So, you know, you have to be yourself in every single aspect of what you do. And I think that it's important to not hide that. And you know, obviously, uh, there's a lot of people who curate their feeds really heavily and, and, you know, will pick things that they think will make them look better to other people. And I don't like those people. I don't really trust them because I don't get a sense of who they actually are. I think that's, it's, I've, I've had similar conversations with, um, with my students. Uh, I had a student, I had a student that was telling me about the number of followers that um, is in their Instagram 
And I just, I, I, it, so this is me that dropping the thing. I'm like, how many of those um, followers are bots? And I just walk away. Yeah, exactly. And, and then there's a really great, there's a really great digital literacy lesson that comes out of that. And again, like building the cult, there's a certain emotional responsibility that I feel yeah. I take on at the end because that's, that's social credit, right? And yeah. I've just decimated their bank. <laughs> I'm just um, so, but I think that's important. I've I've always felt like like I'm my little sort of uh, digital agenda is always about um, me owning everything that I create on the internet, and I'm I I provoke conversations where I try and understand what people would be prepared to pay to be able to rent to use certain cloud based tools, and um, like I in a moment of doing that, like I used a, a tool to erase, I had, I don't know, 4,000 tweets mm. and I used a tool to erase all of them in one fell swoop in order to kind of start over. So I'm, I'm constantly experimenting with the, the, how can we have more control yet complete mobility? So I like going into these spaces where, you know, by the way, I have four votes so far on my <laughs> survey. So zero, zero percent actually trust their digital self. Zero percent don't. So it's zero is yes, I trust myself. Zero is nope, don't trust at all. A hundred percent so far saying I sleep with one eye open. Yeah, I, I said that. I, I still do. I mean, I don't I don't completely trust because sometimes I'll just, you know, write something, particularly on Twitter where you can't edit it. You have to either, you know, you have to delete it. And for me, deleting is a big step because I, you know, I like to be as um, as honest as I possibly can. But, you know, I still I, I still don't always trust what people are going to do with what I put out there. Um, I mentioned before, like, I'm not trying to plug, but I uh, because I write poetry and I have for some time and that's really what I first started using the internet for like on a regular basis, I have a lot of stuff that's out there and um, my students can find it. So I have this responsibility that what I put, like you making sure that what I put out there is something that is going to not be, you know, misconstrued in some way or used against me. Um, but at the same time, I, I still want them to know that I'm a human being and I, I think um, I think being findable on the internet is one of those things that convinces them that you actually maybe know a little bit about their world and, and can relate to it. So can I, 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 can I share, can I open my heart for a second? Go for it. I'm going to open my heart. Are you, are, are you, are you, are you available to receive my heart for a moment? Can you do the tinkly thing again? Okay, here it comes. Wait, or should it be more like this? Oh here, yeah. here comes my heart. Here comes my heart. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then of course we have to do that one on the tail end. Absolutely. So it's funny. I love the the authenticity is a challenge. The this you know unifying the digital and actual self the challenge. It's funny. You know there's a little I would I have a whole I have a bunch of spoken word pieces. So I mess around with writing. I get it from my dad. My my sort of personal blog, I have stuff there. Like I'll write on post-it notes and just take a snap of it and kind of hang it there, just so I have a digital portfolio. And but there's a there's a sub there's a subversive part to my writing that I would love to explore more, but I hold back because I because of that decorum factor. So it's moving more yeah. into the spoken word space. But I know me existing there right now means that I will be creating content. That ha- that that will explore dark spaces, and in in exploring some of those dark spaces and observations, and even you know, I mean, part of it is always being mindful of the fact that ninety percent of my context, yeah, like I can't I can't choose yeah. to draw from my classroom. That would just be really bad for a career. So then, the other things that fascinate me will draw me to parts of myself that are my personal spaces, which may include the odd swear word. <laughs> and the truth of it is, you can't you can't not have those things like I can choose not to post, but I've gone to many of these sessions and people are filming and posting. It gets out. Yeah. So it's, it's one of those interesting things that um, there's that percentage that we keep back for ourselves. Sorry, that I've kept back for myself and realizing that at some point, like I just, I'm, I'm mildly fearful what will trigger that exploration 
because it is, there's a hunger. There's something like that. It's like that, that side hustle that you want to, you want to explore. I know that about, I know enough about myself that it's just better to keep it locked up for now. I um, I actually find using spoken word poetry really, really valuable in my classroom. And it's interesting that the things that I will choose for, for students to listen to, they might have occasional swear words in them. I mean, they're adults technically. And sometimes you can't use another word because quite frankly, there's sometimes when that's just the only word that you can possibly use. But, um, well, you gotta you gotta rhyme. Yeah. Sometimes duck. Well, you, you know, gotta I, rhyme I with duck. I try to avoid using duck in my poetry, and there's a couple of other words I do as well. But I think um, I think you need to you do need to explore that, and I think the the more you explore it, the more you get better at expressing yourself um, in ways that don't necessarily sound maybe as raw, but are you know, sort of more universally accepted, then that's that's the kind of space that you can occupy as an educator without um, without sort of crossing any boundaries or anything. You're still exploring, you know, real life situations and and real life problems and issues, and and sometimes the dark places are where all the most exciting stuff happens. So, and sometimes the dark places are the things that really connect you to the people that you're trying to connect with. So, yeah, I don't see why not. You know, I think you should go for it. You're a bad influence, Leanne Hansen. That's that's my goal. That's do you actually you should actually put that on your Twitter profile. That that could be something. Yeah, drop I that think, in there once in a while. I'm just a bad influence. I'm okay with that. That's I, I might actually it, do it that. It kind of works, yeah. eh? Um, believe it or not, believe it or not, we're we're coming up to the tail end. But there's one thing that I'm curious about. Well, there's lots of stuff. I, uh, you know, maybe some point we can re-meet for part two. Um, how did how did teaching become a thing for you? How was that brought into your life? Family were teachers. You always sort of no, dreamt. no. My family did not. My family did not have a high opinion of teachers as a general rule. So you're proving um, them wrong. That's what it is. It was retaliate. You were rebelling against the family to show teachers. You are know cool. what? I I hated my education experience so much that I just wanted to get revenge on the whole world, and that was you know that's it. No, and I like that know, narrative. The revenge plot, professional. Like, that I like I, that. I'm nothing if not subversive. That's just how it goes. Okay. So. And I feel like that's all we're going to say on that. Well, let's that's, leave it at that. That's, that's probably safe. That's good. You know what? Um, I love it. You know, I love it. I wasn't expecting the, you know, one of the stories I was told before, which I totally, it totally cracked me up. You know, someone on a previous cast had said, you know, I knew I was going to be a teacher uh, when my, I guess uh, their parents had told them a story about how they would line up all their toys on the stairs and they would yell at them, <laughs> yell at their toys. And their parents were like, honey, what are you doing? He's like, I'm teaching. <laughs> Absolutely. That, that's the goal. And that's like their, that's their earliest memory of, you know, of, of, I, I knew after that, I knew I wanted to be a teacher <laughs> and, and, you know, the parent is kind of walking out of the room, like, Oh, geez. <laughs> We're all <laughs> secret, at, secret dictators. <laughs> oh, geez. That definitely is. Uh, that's part two secret dictators <laughs> and, and subversive saviors. Hey, that's, that's good. Beautiful. Eh? See, no Let's wonder you're that. a poet. Oh, <laughs> uh, I appreciate the compliment. So, um, I I know I definitely like I want to check back in with you. There's still I have other stuff that I've scribbled here, and let me if I look at my um my dry erase board that I wrote. We didn't even get to talk about spandex. Uh, we got the we got the glitter in the the Proust interview. Uh, I have a couple of questions. Maybe we can ask next time. And and the one thing maybe next time we can talk a little bit about teacher joy versus the system because you had some interesting posts about that too. Definitely, definitely. I'm I'm up for it. Cool. So if someone wants to reconnect with you, pursue you, lurk you, uh, find out more stuff, uh, more conversations with you, where would you like to be found? Uh, Twitter's the best place. It's at Leanne Hansen. That's probably the best starting point for me. Cool. Did you want to plug it all where some of, where some of your writing is or just oh, let them find no, it? They can. Like if you Google me, then you'll find me. It's not that hard. That's a pretty prestigious thing to, to be able to say still, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty cool. Like if you can de- – if you, if, yeah, if you can declare, like, just Google me, because I know I know about those analytics. I had a classroom website in my Google site, one of the original ones, like not within the board domain. It took me two years 
two years of populating different posts in there and using that site over and over and over again. And that's like every day, every day posting something like sizable two years before it made crack the sort of like the top 10, if I were just to put in the classroom name into Google. So it's still kind of a prestigious thing to work the oh, bots, I've, I've work the bots in your favor. I've been myself on the internet for a long, long time. <laughs> oh, see, that's the second thing that you put on your private profile. <laughs> I'm a I like bad that. influence and a nuisance. I've been making myself, I'm a, I'm a, no, but you guys say I've been making myself a nuisance. That's awesome. Okay. I totally appreciate this. You, you cracked me up. I really enjoyed chatting with you. No, I'm not surprised really, at all. No, I, I knew it would be good. I didn't even get to, I didn't share much about my context. Maybe next time. But uh, I appreciate yeah, we'll, we'll wear, wear spandex next time. Ah, you know what? Then we have to do a Google Live Hangout because if we're doing outfits next time, <laughs> I can capture the audio from it. We're doing Google Live and we'll even, because then that's when, you know, we can sort of get the outfits in and, you know, you're kind <laughs> of showing up with, with something a little bit fancy or something. I don't know. Sparkly gold tights. That'll be the go. There we go. We got the outro music. <laughs> this has been Chris Clef on Chasing Squirrels with Leanne Hansen. Thanks for listening. See you later, Leah. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. See ya. <laughs> Take care. Thank you for listening to Chasing Squirrels podcast. This podcast can be found on iTunes and you can find it on Podbean. If you are interested in having a conversation on the podcast, please, 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 please reach out. You can connect with me on Twitter at Chris J. Clef. You can also connect with me on Gmail at the exact same handle, chrisjclef at gmail.com. Every once in a while, I drop a blog post on WordPress, and I'm sure you could throw something in the comments there. I really, really appreciate the time that you've spent with me this evening, and I look forward to dropping another podcast conversation very soon.